You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Uh, well, we are going to get into the book of Colossians tonight. Um, and we're going to, man, I was, uh, there's this one phrase I really want to hone in on tonight in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter number 1. Uh, verse 27 is going to be our text verse tonight. Uh, I, how are you when it comes to instructions? Somebody gives you instructions. How good are you with instructions? Uh, or directions for that matter. Uh, I, okay, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm, I, and, and if I can give them, but here's the thing. Uh, you know, I think, for instance, about uh, Michael with some of the stuff on the computer. I'll try to get him to show me, okay, Michael, show me how to set up the recording stuff so that if you're not here, and by the way, we got uh, Tyron, or Tyron, no, we got Tyron, we got uh, this kid, Connor. We got Connor learning that. Jen has thrown me off big time being on this side of the church, but that's okay. Um, but uh, anyway, we got people learning that. But anyway, he's, he's going to show me. And he's like, okay, here you go. You go in here, you hit this file, you hit this button, you right-click here, you drag this over here, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, then he's, he's like, got it. And I'm like, I think so. Then I come in and try to do it. Then I, I was like, okay, I start the computer. And then I, that's about it. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, writing it down helps. And, uh, right, and I even think about directions. You know, I, I've given the example before, you know, about uh, uh, needing directions. Or uh, one, one time in particular, I think about that some of you will remember. Some people just don't give good directions. Uh, and it's almost like giving the instructions. I'm not saying Michael, Michael's instructions are good, but when you're dealing with somebody that doesn't get it, well, you know, it's just almost like a, a kid one time that was trying to teach me to play uh, bass guitar. Uh, and I learned to play a little bit, uh, but he was so musically gifted, he never really learned. He was just one of these people that could just teach himself. So I'd say, what about this? Oh, you just do, bop, 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 bop. you know, and I'm like, dude, you lost me. We were one time in the mountains of North Carolina. I shared with you around Christmas time, and there was a, a place up in the mountains not far from where I was going to the, be preaching the next day. This got there on a Saturday night. Pastor met us there, let us into the uh, missions apartment and whatever, and uh, he says, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? He says, there's some, there's some beautiful Christmas lights. And he, he began to give me directions to where these beautiful Christmas lights were. And apparently, I have this look that I get on my face sometimes to where he realized that I wasn't following those directions too good. So I'm just going to head off in the middle of the mountains up here and, and hopefully take this right here and pass the holler. And if you hear the bees buzzing, you know, turn left and whatever if you... If you smell a bear, turn around regardless, and whatever the case may be. But it's just these directions. And so I have this look on my face to where finally he just looks at me and says, you know what, just jump in the van and follow me. Now that I can do. And when Michael's sitting back there with me and says, here, here's what you do. Guess what? I do pretty good. And whenever he got in that, that car and began to drive those roads, it was easy. You know why? I didn't have to really know a whole lot. I didn't really have to remember a whole lot. I just had to be sure to keep my eyes on him. Keep my eyes on that van. If he put on his turn signal, I put my turn signal on. Uh, if he was going straight, I was going straight. I followed him, and guess what? Without really a ton of effort, just following him, we got to that destination. And my point is tonight, 
When we think about here in the book of Colossians, some of the things that we've been challenging, I think, for instance, over the last couple of weeks, I've really been challenging us about surrendering our lives to God. Everything. I mean, uh, surrendering our bodies totally to God. Surrendering our futures to God. Whatever God wants, Lord, I, I sign it over to you. Obviously, I preach to, you know, I, I come over here and I preach to the, the teens a lot about, you know, what, okay, so this is what you want to do, but what if God wants you to do something else? And, uh, you know, are you willing to do that? But I say that to the adults as well. Uh, I've known a lot of people that God has called to do different things uh, in their adult years. Uh, and you've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'll go, I'll do it, I'll serve. I, I, I'll do what I can for the glory of God if this is what God's calling me to do. So I've been challenged, challenging all of us to surrender and be willing to be those servants uh, that God would have us to be following in His footsteps. But I think in Colossians, look in Colossians 1 again with me just to consider some of these things. Notice the mandate, if you will, in this chapter of the Christian life. Look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1 that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Well, that kind of sounds like a tall order. God says... Paul's saying, I'm praying that you will walk worthy of the Lord. That your life, that your steps. Do you th see, walking is something, isn't it? Walking is just one step after the other. You know, it's just putting one foot in front of the other. I mean, it's not just, you know, transporting from this place to this place. God, I, it's, it's talking about our lives on a daily basis, the little things that we do, that we might walk worthy. He talks there about our patience, about our endurance, our perseverance. He wants us to make sure that, that even when times get tough, that we keep on keeping on. That even when time gets tough, we don't give up on God and we don't get out of church and we don't give up on one another. That we keep on keeping on, that we're long-suffering, that we're patient with other people, long-suffering toward other people, forgiving toward other people. He begins to lay these things out, the mandate, if you will, of the Christian life, but then also of Christian labor. Look at verse 23, the Christian life, Christian labor, uh, to where, I'm just looking at the last few ver words of verse 23, uh, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Uh, we emphasize that, and also in verse number 25, the first, the first few words say, whereof I am made a minister to serve. So our Christian life and our Christian labor, verse 29 says, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now, he, one of the things he talks about is what the Lord's already done for us in verses 12 through 15. What he did for us, he died for us, he's, he's redeemed us with his blood. But then in verse 27, the Bible says, to whom God would make known, and to whom there, he's talking about the saints of verse 26, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
So we can look at what Jesus did for us, and we rejoice about that, and we want to share that with other people, just like the Apostle Paul did. Man, he died to redeem us. He shed his blood so that we might be reconciled. He sought after us. He made the move. Thank God for what he did for us. But then he pauses and says, but it's not just about what he did for us. It's also about what he's doing in us. Now, I started off asking, about, asking you about instructions and asking you about directions. The reason I did that is one of the great, great things about the Christian life is God does not just give us a set of instructions. Yes, the Bible, in a sense, is an instruction manual, but, in a, but the good news is we've got the author of the Bible living on the inside of us. So when I need to figure, out, figure something out that's beyond me and beyond my understanding... I don't just have to hit start, go over to the menu, try to figure out what to do next. You know why? Because he's in me. He's with me. So he's there to give me those instructions. As I go through this life, I don't just have to say, man, did he say to take a right or a left here? Did he say I was to do this or was I to do? I don't have to do I can say, you know what? Praise God, he lives within me. Now, the way His Word, the Word of God comes in is it is a map, and it does give instructions because one thing we need to be very aware of is that we do, if you're saved by God's grace, think about this now, Christ in you. There's no way I could really communicate all that that means right now, but if you remember the Christ He's talking about that's in you, is the same one he was referring to in the same chapter as being the creator of the universe and the sustainer of the universe, the all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful creator, the mighty God lives in you. There's, there's nothing greater than that. I mean... He, he lives in us. So, He lives in us so we can follow Him by following His Word and the direction that He gives from living on the inside of us. And so, how can we possibly live and walk with God? Much less accomplish great things for God. There's one way. Christ in you. That's the only way. The Christian life is Christ in you. It's not a cheap imitation of Christ's life. To, to some people, that's what the Christian life is. Well, I'm going to try. And then they try and we fail and well, you know, that's, that's, that's... No, that's not what it's supposed to be. It's not about our efforts. It's about our surrendering. We, we do have to make an effort, but our greatest effort is just by saying, okay, Lord, if this is what you say to do, I'm going to do it. If you, this is the way you say to step, what you say to say, I'm going to do it. But in, as we obey Him, He works through our lives. Think about this mighty mystery here, this transforming truth. The secret to the Christian life is simply Christ in you. I I've talked about this and referenced this a lot when I talk about the abundant Christian life and the successful Christian life. But do you still ever get in your mind that it's easier? Well, let's just say, say for me, I'm the preacher here, I'm the pastor. Do you ever think that it's easier for me than it is for you? Even as, I mean, think about teenagers. Do you think, okay, preach, that's easier for you to say. 
you know, that's easy for you to say, uh, you're the preacher. You know, I mean, you're the God-called preacher. I mean, of course, it's easy for you, you know. Every time service is over, you know, you just, you just ascend those ivory stairs uh, to your palace of separation, you know, to where you, uh, and, and then, then I gracefully come down into your presence once again every Sunday, uh, you know. But that's not the way it works. If, if I have lived a successful day for Christ, I'll tell you what's, what the secret is. Christ in me. Now, if you're saved, you have Christ in you. So therefore, we, 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 don't, we don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to offer excuses. Every one of us can live the Christian life. Now, the hard part really is kind of figuring out that we can't do it. The hard part and sometimes the discouraging part is discovering our own weaknesses through the process. Being reminded of our infirmities. The Bible calls them infirmities, our weaknesses. But the Bible says He, he helps our infirmities. See, we sometimes get in our mind, i got to get this infirmity better. No, just let Him make it better. He helpeth our infirmities. He helps our, us in our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. And it's not about, our, but sometimes it can be just, well, I guess I just, I'm not going to be able to be the husband God wants me to be, or the man, or the wife, or the, the child, or whatever the case may be. But so, Christ in you. Let's, let's get right into this. Notice what he says there real quickly in verse number 27. The Bible says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. I may mention later a little bit how the cult that was trying to influence the Colossian Christians would use this word mystery. If you get with us, we'll, we'll reveal you to you to the, the mystery. If you join our cult, if you get a part of us. But I love the way God is working here because he's saying, I'm going to tell you the mystery and it's no secret. It's Christ in you. And by the way, the message is all Christ. Amen. It's all about Christ. It's, you, you think about through this chapter from him being the creator, from him being the savior, the one who died for us, but now he's the one who lives in us. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the mystery part there is just a sacred secret. When you read that word in the New Testament, a mystery is a sacred secret hidden in the past and now revealed by the Holy Spirit. His mystery uh, in this situation, it's one that was not explained by the Old Testament prophets. Now, the Lord Jesus not only incarnated himself in human flesh, so he became a man, but he has chosen to take up residence in each of his own. Here is the very genius of Christianity, Christ in you. Christianity is not a religion. It is not a code of laws or a set of creeds. Christianity is Christ. A real living person, not a thing, not a rule, not a building. One who came to this planet in space, who chose to live among us, who was willing to die for us, who is now ascended on high, and yet who lives in us. He who once gave his life for us now abides in us to give his life to us so that we so that he may live through us he who once died 
uh, as me now lives in me. Now, just stop a second. Does that make sense to anybody? Or do you have a hard time with that? In what way does Christ, in what way is Christ in me? Well, obviously, he's not physically in us. And then you've got to stop and ask the question, too. By the way, ask questions. Make sure you ask questions to where you're willing to learn from them. I mean, uh, but what does it mean that Christ lives in me? How does that work? How can you stand up there and say Christ lives in you, but then you're also telling me that he lives in me? And you're preaching to a group of people, and I'm looking at each one. Christ lives in you, Christ lives in you, Christ lives in you. How does that work exactly? Uh, well, I'm going to explain it all to you in very d precise detail. No, I'm not. I can't explain it all. But I'm going to try to just give you the basic premise of what the Bible's saying here. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 9, the Bible's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, But ye are not in the flesh, speaking to those that are saved, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? So we talk about the miraculous uh, mystery, but now let's look at the meaning of this mystery. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God would come and, and I believe He would come upon people, I was taught that he never would indwell people. I believe he would indwell people. Uh, but he, the, the difference was is he never stayed within people during the Old Testament times. God's Spirit would come and uh, come upon Moses or come upon one of the prophets and, and allow them perhaps to perform uh, some miracle or to speak with some power or whatever the case may be. He would come along and empower them for service. But then he would leave again. New Testament believers have a different experience as the Holy Ghost dwells in us permanently. After Jesus ascended to heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit to live within us, never to leave. Jesus told His disciples, He says, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. So I was asking the question, how does it work that Christ lives in us? Well, it starts this way. It starts with our makeup as human beings. Now, it's very clear that you are more than just a body. You're not only a body, you are a soul. The body is just kind of this exterior, right? I mean, it's the soul who makes us who we are. Our, uh, our, our, our emotions, our thoughts, our will. Right, brother? I was, I was letting it play, man. That's a good one. Amen? Uh, but listen, uh, we, uh, we, need a, uh, we need a Dr. Rick intervention here. Amen? Uh, but uh, anyway, listen, what I'm trying to say is this, that God lives in us. Before, but The makeup of mankind is body and soul and spirit. So your soul is your emotions, again, your will, your thoughts, your mind. The uh, Bible talks about it being our hearts. But the Bible also says that man has a spirit. And our spirit is the part of us, just like the external part of us is what can communicate with this physical world. We can touch and smell and feel and see and hear uh, physically. 
The spiritual part of us is what allows us to touch, feel, interact, communicate with God Almighty. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that before we are saved, the Bible says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So before we're saved, we're spiritually dead. So if you're here tonight and you're not saved, if you're listening tonight and you're not saved, you are spiritually dead. You may be physically trying to do Christian-y things. You may, with your, you know, your senses, your five senses, be doing Christian-y type things. But if you have not been spiritually awakened uh, and made alive, then you're, not, you're still in your sins. But so salvation is literally the spirit within inside of us, this realm that we can't see that is being uh, awakened. And when we are saved and the spirit is made alive, what literally happens is the Holy Spirit of God, God's presence actually moves into our spirit. Now you say, explain that. I, I can't explain it tonight, but it'd be one of those things that's hard to explain anyway. But the Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit living within us is the Spirit of Christ. So remember, because we, we don't have three gods, we have one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the Spirit that lives in us, that, I read you that verse out of Romans, which I thought's an interesting verse because it talked about uh, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ all in the same verse, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. But it's the Spirit that lives within inside of us. Before we were saved, our bodies and souls were alive, but we were spiritually dead. The moment that we are saved, we are spiritually in Christ, uh, which is a cool thing. Romans 6 says, Romans 6, folks, is not talking about water baptism. And you be real careful for those that may teach that it is. Because if you're teaching water baptism out of Romans chapter number 6, you're also teaching baptismal regeneration. Because the baptism of Romans chapter number 6 is putting people in Christ. Water baptism does not put people in Christ. Water baptism is a picture of spirit baptism. And uh, spirit baptism, does anybody remember what the word baptize besides immerse? The literal meaning of the word is immerse. But what does, he, what does the word baptizo actually mean? What does that have to do with? We get baptized because we're trying to identify. We're identifying with the death, uh, the death burial, resurrection of Christ. It's identification. So basically, long story short, bat spirit baptism just identifies us with Christ in His death and resurrection. So literally, we are put in Christ. That goes back to a message a couple weeks ago where our position, you're in Christ in heavenly places. When God looks at you, He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only are you in Christ the moment that you get saved, also now Christ is in you. It's like a sponge being in water. Is the water in the sponge or is the sponge in the water? And the, but, it, but, but the sponge is in the water and the water is in the sponge. You can be here in the air. the air. We're in the air, but the air is in us. And when you're saved by God's grace, you're in Christ uh, positionally. And practically speaking, Christ is in you. The Spirit of God working in you. Uh, again, uh, so... Uh, baptized is identified with him where, where the, the Holy Spirit of God, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. Everybody with me so far? I mean, because I'm just trying to express to you that the way we are saved is the Spirit of God working on our spirits, us 
surrendering, opening up, turning to Him, asking Him to forgive us of our sins. When we accept Him as our Savior, we're made spiritually alive. That's where the change takes place at. And the Spirit of God moves on the inside of you. So if you're saved, you are a temple of the Holy Ghost of God, which is really important because there, especially the context of 1 Corinthians 6, the Bible's saying what you do with your body, you're doing with Christ. And so it's really important that we are mindful of what we're doing because we are the temple of God Almighty. Okay, so uh, I know this opens up a lot of other thoughts, but just let me try to continue on with this thought. If you've got other questions or something, write them down uh, and we can address them later. But uh, So we see... This evening, quickly, the a mirac a miraculous mystery, the meaning of this mystery. Then I want to say quickly, the mystery provides our means. And this is kind of how I started off. The mystery, uh, the mystery provides our means. In, in other words, the explanation of how we can do what we do for the glory of God, the way we can live victorious Christian lives, the way... I mean, how many of you perhaps have been challenged to surrender, to give it all to God? And you say, I don't know if I can do that. You know the way you can do it? You know the means by which you can give your all and put your faith in Him for your life? Christ in you. You've got the power within you. He's the one that will empower you to surrender. He's the one that will empower you to do Whatever it is that God... Has God ever told you to do something you didn't want to do? Has God ever told you to do something you thought you couldn't do? Um, listen, it may be because you can't do it, but that's not the important thing. Christ, it's Christ in you. He's the one that's going to do it. So the mystery provides our means. He proclaimed this, uh, this Christ as being in them. The design of the gospel is to put men in possession of the spirit and power of Christ, to make them partakers of the divine nature and thus prepare them for an eternal union with himself. So in other words, the goal of Paul's ministry was to see people saved, in other words, to see Christ in these Gentiles, see their lives changed. But the goal of his ministry was also the go of his ministry. How could he do this? How could he give his life? How could he, how could he endure so much? Oh, he must have been a special man. No, it wasn't. Well, the, the thing that was special about Paul was Christ in you. The same Christ that's in you. I mean, that's it. So that, that, the, the, the goal also explains his goal. How he accomplished what he accomplished was Christ in you. We are in him and he's in us. Jesus said in John 15, verse number 4, Abide in me and I in you. <laughs> I in, uh, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can... It, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Can God do something great through your life? 
Can God do something great through your life? Absolutely can. You know why? Because it's Christ liveth in me. It's not, it's not about what you can do. It's about what He can do. It's about surrendering and allowing Him to do it. Uh, Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16 says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, uh, you know, may comprehend, and it goes on. But man, it's the Spirit of God working on the inside of us. It's Christ in you. Being strengthened in the inner man. Child of God, we got to quit living by our emotions. If you're saved, we've got to quit. See, if you think about it, we've got these five senses that we have. We have this body, and, but when you get down to it, it's our soul. The battle's really for the soul of man because uh, the soul includes the mind. We talk about the mind a lot. The, 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 the mind, you know, which affects, you know, it's what we think, which affects how we feel, which affects what we do. It affects our will. That's where the battle's at. We're the ones who determine. Are we going to live by our senses? Or are we going to live by the Spirit? Which are we going to do? And it's, all, it's, it's totally up to us. And, and that's why there's some of us that can be saved. Where the Bible says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Understand something here. He's talking to a group of Christians. So let's just examine what he said to them right there that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So, was Paul saying, man, you Christians, I really hope you get Jesus in your heart. Is that what he was saying to this group of Christians? Well, no, he absolutely was not saying that I hope you'll get Jesus in your heart. That's not what the Word said. He says, I'm praying that Christ will dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, there's a difference between being somewhere, being welcomed somewhere. See, the, to, to dwell, that Christ may dwell in you, the idea there is Christ being at home. Have you ever been somewhere you wasn't wanted? Not me. No, I'm just kidding. I, I have. I've been places that I, that I wasn't wanted. Uh, but that's not a very comfortable feeling. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever been in a place to where you realize you wore out your welcome? Some of you don't have enough self-awareness to realize that. <laughs> and that's probably me half the time, too. But uh, wore out my welcome. And, uh, but see, I may be in the house, but I'm not really welcome in the house. Hey, how about this? God forbid. But have you ever been in your home and not been felt real welcome in your home? See, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, I, I heard somebody say, I'm not going to say who said it because y'all have heard it too, but I heard somebody say if they'd come home and they'd throw their hat in the front door and if, uh, if, they didn't throw, if the wife didn't throw the hat back out, they knew uh, it was okay to come in. Uh, you know, but there's, there's literally, and by the way, let me say something, we tease about that and that's fine, so just bear with me as we tease and then me go serious for a moment. Man, we, we should, home should be a place we want to go. 
Wives, husbands, make the place the home a place you want to be. But you can feel even unwelcome in your own home. Uh, think about this for a moment. Christ dwelling in you means to feel at home. Now, what's the difference then between, you know, uh, this power and us being able to live this life and have true Christian joy? Does Christ feel at home in His temple? Now, where's His temple? Help me now. Where's, where's, where's Christ's temple, Evan? Yeah. And, and, and more specifically, you know what I'd like to say? In me. Each, each of us say, because sometimes it's real easy, not picking on Evan because he didn't say nothing wrong at all, but that sometimes it's easy, oh yeah, Christ lives in us. But let me bring it more down because Christ lives in me. Now, how welcome does Christ feel in his home right now? And that's, that, may, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, how? By faith. Not by feelings, but by faith. Being obedient, willing to surrender your life to Him, willing to trust Him, willing to, to let go. Yeah, and, you know, I know so many times, and I'm not picking on one person because I'm telling you, it happens to a lot of us. We surrender to God. We say, God, we're handing this over to you. And, and I just get this mental image. I can think of these times I've come to the altar and I've said, God, I'm giving it to you. Lord, from now on, it's going to be different starting tonight. That starting tomorrow stuff don't usually work too well. Anybody ever figure that out? Starting tonight. But I'm telling you what, there's four devils ready to jump on you as soon as you walk out that door out there. What are you going to do then? I think I'm going to back off. I was going to serve and I was going to surrender, but boy, it got hard. So I think I'm just going to, it, it, must, it must not be the will of God because it got hard. Well, if that were the case, what would Paul have done? What would Jesus have done? No, no, no. You need to look at this another way. This must be the will of God because it sure got hard. I'm not quitting. See, I'm, I'm not going by the way I feel. I'm not going by what I see, not going by what I hear. I'm going by what I know on the inside. Lord, by faith, I want you to feel at home in my life. I'm going to be obedient. We can pump a lot of stuff into our ears, into our eyes. We, we let these things into this part of our lives. You know what the Bible says in, I believe it's Ephesians 4.27? The Bible says, neither give place to the devil. See, how much of you belongs to God? Kenley, how much of you belongs to God? All. Amen? All. I know y'all heard her on this side, but I just wanted to emphasize it. That's right. All. All of me. I'm the temple of God. I've been purchased, man, with a wonderful price. But the Bible says don't give place to the devil. See, you know how the devil can get a place in your life? Neither give place to the devil. That's right. You give it to him. Have you given ground to the devil? Hey, you know what? I dare say every one of us at some point or another in our lives have given ground to the devil. We've given some areas over. We've given some thoughts. And what the devil does when we give him, now, if you'll bear with me, I go back to this battleground picture. Now, I imagine all this land that God has given me, this, this promised land that God has given me here in, in, my, in, in a spiritual way of speaking. But now I allow the devil to move in on this area of my life. I begin to, uh, I begin to be a doubtful person. I let him move in on this place. I begin to be a lustful person. 
I begin to be a, uh, uh, an angry person. I, I begin to be an unforgiving person. Then all of a sudden, Satan moves into this place and he begins to build these strongholds. And he puts down his stakes and he says, I'm here to stay. And I'm telling you, you want to know the sad truth? I dare say that most Christians live their entire lives with a good bit of their lives given over to Satan. Some of it goes back to even before we were saved. Abusive situations we may have been in. Doubtful situations we may have been in. And we carry these things over into our Christian life. And there's these thought patterns, and it all starts with our thoughts. We got to learn to give these places, these things to God. That's why the Bible says there in what is it, Second Corinthians chapter number ten, it talks about dealing with those strongholds and and and, and capturing every thought. Man, we've we've got to we got to start taking some place back. Don't give place. And if you've given place to the devil, it's time to say, Lord, I've given this place to you, but I, I'm, I'm giving it back to you. I, I've given this over to Satan, but I'm going to give it back to you. And we need to start making a difference in living for God. Living a selfish life, disconnected from the church, is not what God has in mind for you. We don't need to be less involved in the church. We need to be more involved. We need, we, we, why? Because the church is the people. And God has put this here for us. And, and I say for us, but when I say for us, it's not just for you. Somebody says, oh, you know, well, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, wh whatever. We, we, we get so self-centered. What about the other people? What about the other people that we can be a blessing to, the other people that we can serve? Christ in you. The Bible says that he may dwell in your hearts by faith. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, and then if, if when he's dwelling in our hearts by faith, when he's filling at home, we'll be rooted and grounded in love. Um, I'm going to close with this, uh, this illustration, if you will, or really just tracing God's dwelling places back as recorded in the Bible. All right, if you'll just bear with me a moment. If you, it's interesting to trace God's dwelling places as recorded in the Bible. In the beginning, God had fellowship with man in a personal and direct way. What broke the fellowship that God had with man in a personal and direct way? Sin broke that fellowship, so it was necessary for God to shed the blood of animals to cover the sins of Adam and Eve so that they might uh, come back into his fellowship. One of the key words in the book of Genesis, it's a beautiful word, because when God made the efforts to restore the relationship with man, the Bible says this. Here's one of the key words, walked. The Bible says that God walked with men. The Bible says Enoch walked with God. The Bible says Noah walked with God. Abraham walked with God. That's pretty cool. You ever have somebody want to walk with you, hang out with you? That's pretty cool, man. I mean, if it's God, not everybody wants to hang out with me. But I want to say something. I mean, I'm just thinking about it this way. If that girl right there wants to hang out with me or is married so she does anyway, either way, I'm okay if you don't want to because she wants to hang out with me. Let me tell you something. God wants to hang out with me. So he's like, man, I'm walking with you. All this is good. 
I want to go on a walk with you. I want to hang out with you. Okay? But by the time you get to Exodus, there's a change that takes place. God does not simply walk with men. Now, He wanted to live with them. He says, you know what? I love coming and walking with you, but I got something even better, man. I want to dwell right among you. So in Exodus 25, the Bible, God says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Hey, I want to be your neighbor. I want to dwell among you. So that's cool. God dwelt in the camp, but he did not dwell in the bodies of the Israelites. Unfortunately, the nation sinned, and when you get to 1 Samuel 4.21, the Bible says that God's glory departed from Israel. God, God moved out of the neighborhood, so to speak. So God used Samuel and David to restore the nation. But then Solomon built God a magnificent temple, and when the temple was dedicated, once again, God came back and said, I'm going to live with you. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to walk with you, but man, I don't want to just walk with you. I want to come live with you. So he did that. But history repeated itself. Israel disobeyed God and was taken into captivity. The gorgeous temple was destroyed. One of the prophets of the captivity, Ezekiel, saw the glory depart from the temple. Now, did the glory ever return? Not to that temple in that form, but in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory returned. And the Word, the Bible says, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the Lord dwelt on the earth in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ... But wicked men nailed his body to the cross. The Bible says that they crucified the Lord of glory. All this was part of God's thrilling plan. Christ arose from the dead, returned to heaven, and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in man. The glory of God now lives in the bodies of his children. The glory departed from the tabernacle and the temple when Israel disobeyed God, but the Holy Spirit of God will dwell in us forever. So God says, hey, I want to come walk with you. They sinned, messed it up. God says, you know what? I'm just going to come live with you. He does that. Man messes that up. Finally says, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to come live in you. And my work of redemption is going to be so to where not only am I going to be in you, but I'm going to put you in me, therefore you can't ever do anything to make me depart. Amen. Amen. I want to live in you. I want to walk with you. you how much does God love us? I wonder how long somebody can stand to be around me without me getting on their nerves. Melanie, you know, I mean, you got to ask me. Uh, yeah, not very long. But you want to know something? The Lord is with you and with me. He never leaves. He never leaves. He's always there within us. And see, and, and I've got to close, but one of the important things is every time you read about these things about Christ living in us, all around those verses, it's talking about knowledge. You needing to know. You needing to learn. You need to know this. Because a lot of us live as if we don't really know that He lives in us. That's why he said, what? Know ye not that you're the temple of God? A lot of people, they don't really register to them. You're the temple of God. He dwells in you if you're saved. 
So there's comprehension. Second, uh, Peter 1 verse 4, the Bible says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. We've been given these great and exceeding precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. See, His divine nature is going to come through in our lives the more we are into these exceeding uh, great and precious promises. 1 Corinthians 1.27, I'm sorry, Colossians 1.27, our text verse, to whom God would make known the riches of the glory of this mystery. So there's comprehension, and then lastly I'll say there's apprehension. There's yielding. There's yielding to the Lord. Uh, as we all stand this evening...